Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a very special guest who I know that uh, is going to bless every one of you. If any of you have heard about the controversy concerning the so-called Jesus tomb, well, we have an expert here with us tonight, and he's Dr. Stephen Collins. He's the president of Trinity Southwest, and he's going to be speaking on the title tonight, Jesus, Dead or Alive. So please welcome Steve Collins. Well, it's good to be here tonight. Let's break out the ammunition here. Jesus, Dead or Alive. I guess we could also subtitle it, title that, You Can't Keep a Good Messiah Down. <laughs> How many of you, um, a couple of weekends ago, watched the Simka Yakubovich documentary on the Jesus tomb? Did you see it? How many saw it? If you're not up with the controversy, let me bring you up to speed on it. And, um, you know, as, a, as an apologist, as a Christian apologist, we often say, those of us who consider ourselves something along the lines of um, an empirical, being an empirical factualist, we always say, if somebody could actually march up with some good evidence, good, solid archaeological or historical evidence, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity would be sunk. I mean, it really is, it really is that way. I mean, we can't really play the Mormon here, and I, I always use the poor Mormons as an example here, but usually when you come up with good empirical, historical, scientific evidence that absolutely cuts the legs out from under Mormonism... They often say, we don't care what your scientific evidence is. We don't care what your historical evidence is. It's all wrong. It's all tainted by the devil. And we just don't believe it. We have a burning in the bosom that our Mormonism is true. And, and that's the kind, the kind of the take they go, the kind of the way they go with it. But a lot of us Christians do the same thing. And uh, in our apologetics classes, uh, when we talk about cults and we talk about evidences against the credibility of other so-called faiths, we often use that evidence, but when it comes to Christianity, we don't allow that. But what's good for the goose is good for the gander as far as scientific evidence goes. Now, what we have before us is a group of people who are claiming that a certain tomb discovered in 1980 in the area of Jerusalem, South Jerusalem, called Talpiot, actually, they say, may contain the burial boxes, the ossuaries or bone boxes of Jesus of Nazareth, Mary, the mother of Jesus, a Mary Amne, some identify as Mary Magdalene, a Yose, we'll talk about him a little later, a Mattiah or a Matthew, 
and a Yehuda bar Yeshua, a son of Jesus. And then we have four ossuaries, four bone boxes with no names. So let's set the picture. In 1980, they break into this tomb. Now, they weren't looking for tombs. They were building apartments. And when you build apartments around Jerusalem and you dig foundations, the chance of running into tombs is pretty high. Let's think about that. Between about 30 B.C. and 70 A.D., in that approximately 100-year period, within a 10-mile radius around Jerusalem, there are going to be something on the order of three to 400,000 dead Jerusalemites. That's a lot of Judeans to die over that period of time. There's going to be a whole lot of tombs. And so when you dig a hole somewhere, the likelihood of finding one of those tombs is pretty high, especially in certain areas like the Talpiot area, which was a traditional area of tombs, and there are thousands of tombs throughout that region. They break into the tomb, and immediately they discovered a moderate-sized carved tomb with a stone block in front of the door, and inside about five what are called loculi, and in those, to each, uh, ossuaries, ten total limestone boxes. The limestone boxes are about yay big. And uh, we were actually going to bring one over from the museum tonight, but these things are a, it's a little dicey bringing artifacts out when the weather is like it is. So um, we didn't. But they're made out of, they're carved out of soft Jerusalem limestone. And they're made to receive the bones of the deceased. Now, we kind of have to understand how people are being buried in antiquity in the time of Jesus. In a family tomb in Judea, the deceased would be laid out inside the tomb on a platform so that the body over the next year or so could decompose. And, of course, then multiple burials, uh, people only lived to be 25 or 30 years old on average in antiquity, so you have a whole lot of people in your family dying quite frequently. And so as these people would die, they would have to make room for more burials. So once all the primary burial slabs were filled, the bones would, of necessity, have to be moved to make room for new burials. So the bones would be taken, lovingly dressed and cleaned, and placed in these bone boxes. The bone boxes are often about just the size of the long bone of the femur, and they would place the bones in there and arrange them nicely, place the skull, put the lid on it, and pack it away in another chamber. And so the ossuaries would sometimes get full. You might put one person in the ossuary, and then all of a sudden if you have room for another one, you might put another one in there. But what happens when the ossuaries are full? You take the bones out of the ossuary and you place them lovingly in another chamber or even sometimes a pile in the corner of the tomb. In this particular burial that we're talking about, we see this movement. It's sort of a conveyor of death from the primary burial slab into the ossuary back often out of the ossuary into the corner of the tomb. And this would happen through many generations. Now, in this particular tomb that was discovered, there were ten ossuaries, ten bone boxes. 
a total of 35 individuals identified, which means that a certain amount of them were in a pile. The rest were in bone boxes. 17 individuals were found in the bone boxes. The other 18 are outside laying on the floor of the tomb. Now, all of this information, if you watched the James Cameron documentary that I spoke of a moment ago on the Discovery Channel, you notice that that information was never stated. There were 35 people buried there. 17 of them were actually in the ossuaries. On the names of those, on the, carved on the sides of those 10 ossuaries, uh, on six of them, there were actually names. Jesus, son of Joseph, Mary, a Mariamne, another form of the name Mary, a Yose, a Matiah, and a Yehuda, son of Jesus. Four of them have no names at all. So ten ossuaries, six with names, six without names. But remember, 17 of those people are actually in the ossuaries, so there's quite a bit of doubling up. Now... All of this is important as we get uh, a little bit down the road in this, uh, in this discovery because, first of all, it is rather interesting that this group of names would all appear together. And so what the documentarians have said, those who made this film, and by the way, it is a rather impressive film, what they've said is, is that this could very well be Jesus, the son of Joseph. This could very well be Mary, the mother of Jesus. It could be Yose, and the name Yose is used. It's only known from one other location, the book of Mark. This name is not known anywhere else except in the book of Mark, and it's a nickname of one of Jesus' brothers. Then we have a Matiah. Now, Matiah is not part of Jesus' family. There is a Matthew, the gospel writer, but this Matthias, who is this Matthias? What the document, uh, documentary makers said was, Mary, if you look at her lineage in Scripture, you see that there are at least three or four Matthias or Matthews or forms of the name Matthew in her family. So therefore, the name Matthew makes, kind of makes sense if this is the Jesus family or actually be the Joseph family tomb. Then you have... A Judah, Yehuda, son of Jesus. Now, of course, from several books, uh, James Tabor's book, The Jesus Dynasty, for one, and uh, I keep telling James, uh, I'm not ready to kill him yet, but he's, he's a very good friend of mine. His speculation is that Jesus actually married Mary Magdalene then had a son, and that he speculates that this is Jesus, son of Joseph, and this Yehuda is the son of Jesus by Mary Magdalene. And he keeps pushing this theory. And he is one of the principal scholars speaking in this particular documentary, lending his credibility from his position as a professor at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, uh, lending his credibility to this theory. Now, I've admitted to him, and we email each other quite frequently, I've admitted to him, 
any tomb that comes forward with that group of names ought to be checked out. I mean, it's interesting. You have some people here whose names are very similar to ones found in the Bible. Certainly, from an archaeological, from a historical point of view, you would want to go check this out. But when you do check it out, you have to be honest about what you find. And you have to be honest about what you don't find. Because what they presented in the documentary was specifically hand-selected to make the case look plausible, when in fact it is not plausible. Now I'm going to show you how this works. Uh, What I've put together here are seven things, and I've added a few more since, but there are seven things that were completely ignored by the documentary that ought to be talked about. Now before I do those seven, let me grab a couple of other things here that uh, I think are also important. First of all, this is a Judean tomb. Where does the word Jew come from, by the way? From being in Judah, in the Judean area, in the Roman province of Judea, and you're a Jew if you come from Judea. This is a Judean tomb. Judean tombs are different. They are unique. They're not like Galilean tombs. Galilean tombs, by the way, in Galilee, you have mostly poor families. You don't have a lot of wealthy Jewish families living in Galilee. And their tombs are just trench tombs, just like we use today. They just dig a trench, place the body in, that's the end of it. But around Judea, they developed a tradition around Jerusalem of digging these fancier tombs into the stone and then these various niches or loculi as we talked about before. This is a Judean-style tomb. In the Judean tombs, obviously, are found the family members of people who live, wealthy people who live around Jerusalem. When a foreigner, that is somebody that's not a Judean, is buried in these tombs, the names on the tombs often reflect the location where that person was born or raised. For example, you might have a Yehuda of Caesarea, a Yehuda of Galilee. We would have a Jesus of Nazareth, a Simon of Cyrene, a Joseph of Arimathea, and so on. If you're not Judean and your body is found, your ossuary is inscribed... And by the way, only a small percentage of the ossuaries, the total ossuaries, are actually inscribed. But if you have an inscribed ossuary and you're not from Judea, what the statistics of these tombs tells us is that you'll have a geographical location spelled out in the inscription. Notice, first of all, that none of these six inscriptions contain any geographical markers or indicators whatsoever, which suggests to people like Dr. Jody Magnus at Duke University, another scholar who's weighed in on this, um, she suggests, and she is probably one of the world's leading experts on Jewish tombs and burials in the first century in this area, she says that these people are from Judea, not from Galilee. If they were from Galilee, they would be identified. And then she brings up another point. 
Why would any of Joseph's family, if there was a Joseph family tomb, it would be in Nazareth, Joseph's hometown, not Jerusalem. That's another problem. And by the way, I mentioned uh, Jody Magnus's name. As far as that documentary is concerned, and as far as the theory that this might be the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth, there isn't a single archaeological scholar in the entirety of the Near East archaeological community who buys this theory. Not one. James Tabor is a professor of religion at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, has actually uh, been the one championing it, and he will admit that he is not an archaeologist. Now, um, I just want to clear that up because it, it makes it look like in the, in the documentary film, you've got a whole bunch of people parading by as scholars, but none of them, none of the archaeological scholars, either in the film or in reality, actually has supported this theory. Let me tell you a little bit something else that came out after, after the film aired. All of the people who did the DNA analysis, all the people who did the statistical analysis, and those who were mentioned in other ways in the film, Tarlan and others, they were all absolutely furious that their research, that their test results were used in the way the film used it. By the way, here's the way the film works. Possibly, perhaps, maybe, just maybe, therefore, see how that works? Okay. Now, um, let me give you seven reasons. Now, we're going to have a little bit of fun with this. I'm going to give you a scenario in a bit about this tomb that's perfectly plausible from a biblical point of view. Here's the problem with the theory as it's presented by Cameron and Yakubovich. It completely ignores the first century eyewitness historical record about Jesus. It systematically ignores it. Now, why do they ignore it? Well, first of all, because it completely contradicts what they're trying to say. And by the way, uh, Jody Magnus is a, is a Jewish scholar. She's a distinguished professor of Jewish studies at Duke. And that's her first point. Her first point in a paper she recently put forth on the uh, Society of Biblical Literature Forum, you can check that out on, on the web, one of her first points is, the problem with the theory is, it ignores the history in the New Testament Gospels. Because there is a great deal of historical fact that is accepted by all scholars, Jewish, Christian, or otherwise. And so they have simply gone around it. Now, I'm going to go through these, and I hate to be a little bit professorial here, but I like this format. It's kind of a little bit more teaching format tonight. Um, 
I'm just going to flip through my notes here. I'm not going to read all of this, but I've kind of underlined a few things. But let me point out a few things that are terribly, terribly wrong with this. First of all, the analysis that they performed assumes relationships of all of these names as given in the New Testament. Now watch, this is real subtle. The analysis that the film gives us or that this theory gives us assumes for all their analysis that all of these relationships between Joseph and Jesus and James, uh, if the James Ossuary, and I'll bring that in in a minute, if the James Ossuary is part of this, all of these names are seen and analyzed from their New Testament context, which gives credibility, on one hand, gives credibility to the New Testament documents. In other words, as far as the New Testament is usable to them, they'll use it. But on the other hand, they completely lose the historical credibility by, of, the, of the rest of the New Testament that by denying the eyewitness testimony or failing to deal with the alleged eyewitness testimony of some of the very people who are supposed to be buried in this tomb. Mary herself, Jesus' mother, was an eyewitness and a really potent one, eyewitness of the resurrection, as was Mary Magdalene. So the Marys are completely ignored as to what they testify from the New Testament documents. It's not difficult to demonstrate contrary to a lot of popular opinion among scholars, that the New Testament historical materials are firsthand eyewitness historical accounts written significantly before 70 A.D. Now that's an important point because a lot of scholars want to say that the New Testament Gospels are written late. Now they never want to say exactly how late, but they want to say they're written late and they're not written by eyewitnesses. There are several problems with that. First of all, the Gospels themselves all claim to be written by eyewitnesses except for Luke who claims to be interviewing eyewitnesses. So it denies the fair statements of the Gospels themselves. Another problem is, is that everything historically, archaeologically, architecturally, culturally in the New Testament Gospels fits a period prior to A.D. 70 and not any other period. Not after. If they're written after, it's a whole other world. Jerusalem doesn't even exist anymore as it exists prior to A.D. 70. Actually, even A.D. 68. Now, that's a problem. Because how would you get people who were not eyewitnesses, who were not living at the time that Jesus lived, who were not living in the first half of the first century, how would you get them to write perfectly good history in every detail, right down to the architecture, right down to the, to the culture, right down to the religion, and right down to the attitudes of the time if they had never lived there, and to write that without anachronisms? to write that without slipping in opinions and ideas and material facts that come from a much later time. 
How would you do that? You wouldn't be able to do it. No, the fact of the matter is, is that the New Testament Gospels are simply straightforward eyewitness historical accounts. And by the way, most scholars, Jewish and Christian, will agree right up to the life, death, burial of Jesus that it's historical. It's historical and accurate right up to the point of the resurrection. It's only after the tomb incident that we disagree. Now, that is, it's patently illogical to do an analysis based on information from the New Testament text itself and then deny everything else the New Testament Gospels say. It's not logical. That's my first point. My second point is to make a statistical analysis of names and name cluster frequencies based on inscribed ossuaries from the Jerusalem area is a fallacy because it simply tries to tell us that we have some sort of meaningful statistical understanding of what names are used and in what frequency. Now, the way it's presented is this. I'll do it like James Tabor presents it. He says, at any given time in Jerusalem, there are 50,000 people living at the time of Jesus. 50,000 people in Jerusalem on any given day. Now let's take all 50,000 and put them all in a big room or put them in a stadium. Now here's the power of statistics. You have everybody raise their hand by asking the question, how many of you are named Yeshua? And we've got all 50,000 Jerusalemites. How many of you are named Yeshua? How many are going to raise their hand? Statistically, according to known name frequencies, 7,000 will raise their hand. Okay? 7,000. Then we'll ask another question. How many of you whose hands are raised, whose, names, uh, whose name, names are Jesus, how many of you have a mother, have a father named Joseph? Now we have only 300 hands. It's only 300 left. Jesus's, whose fathers are named Joseph. Then we ask, how many of you have a mother named Mary? And a whole bunch of hands go down. We only have a handful left. And then we ask another question. How many of you, if we take the James Ossuary as part of this, I'll talk about that in a minute. How many of you might have a brother named James? And now there's only one left standing. And on the basis of that sort of slipshod statistical kind of analysis, they will say that it is one in 600 that this tomb with these names is not the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, they're saying it's statistically quite reasonable, maybe even probable, that this really is the tomb of Jesus. And in essence, if it is, if it happened to be, that would put an end to the Christian faith. Why do you think they did it? Why do you think they 
put it on the air at this particular time, right before Easter. Hmm? Okay. Now, there's serious problems with that. And I will say number one in that, we don't have any meaningful statistics on total population, name usages, name frequencies, or name cluster frequencies. None. It doesn't exist. All we have are the writings of Josephus, other, other historians who talk about Judea, and inscribed bits of pottery called uh, Ostraca, and then these ossuary names, all put together in a bundle, which represent only a fraction of a percentage of the, not 50,000, but if you take the whole 100-year period, of over 300, maybe 400,000 dead Jerusalemites. And we don't know what their names are or what the frequencies are. Therefore, that kind of analysis is not only inaccurate, it is simply irresponsible. Okay? Now, there's another reason why making that kind of statistical analysis is fallacious. Because it completely fails to take into consideration same name frequencies in families, clans, tribes, even inside religious movements. Now, if this were a room full of Muslim men... Thank God it isn't. <laughs> no, maybe that would be good. <laughs> but if this were a room full of Muslim men, I would say, Muhammad, you have a phone call. <laughs> half the room would leave. And if you want to get the other half to leave, you'd, you'd, you'd say, um, and can we see Ahmed in the lobby? Why? Because often in religious movements, particularly, people tend to name their family members after the founders of the religious movement or important people within the religious movement itself. Now, the statistical analysis that the documentary fails to provide is simply that it doesn't include anything like this. It simply assumes all the relationships are as the New Testament presents them. It offers no alternatives, and it fails to consider the fact that amongst early Christian families, after the time of Jesus, in a Christian community led by James, the brother of Jesus, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Matthew, other powerful figures, that Christian names or names of Jewish families who are followers of Yeshua, of the Jesus movement, you might say, or the followers of the way, might name their children increasingly Yeshua, Maria, Yosef, because of the founders of the faith. That's perfectly plausible, but yet those kinds of st statistics are never, dis never considered, never discussed, and um, all of these things complicate the issue to, the, to a level that um, makes their statistics completely meaningless. A fourth thing. Remember, one-third, at least one-third of all these ten ossuaries are nameless. Six inscribed, four uninscribed, 
possibly another, the tenth one is questionable. If it is the James ossuary, which was somehow then possibly stolen and reintroduced back into the mix later, if you follow that, uh, the fellow who owned it got arrested and there's a big trial going on. But the idea is this. If you're a statistician, pay attention. There are 10 ossuaries in this tomb. There are 17 bodies stuffed into these ossuaries. Four of these ossuaries have no names. The no-named ossuaries are never considered in the statistical analysis that tells us that this just must be the tomb of Jesus. What if the names of the people in those four ossuaries have absolutely no connection with the Jesus family at all? We'll never know that, but what if they didn't? It would completely blow the statistics right out of the water. So, there's an unknown that's just quietly never mentioned in, in the uh, analysis on the documentary. Here's another one. Now, this will really put you to sleep, unless you're just really interested in this. Mitochondrial DNA analysis. Now, they couldn't do regular DNA. By the way, what did they do with the bones? When they first found the ossuaries in 1990, what did they do with the bones? Remember? 17 people. The bones of 17 people are in the ossuaries. The other 18 are in a pile on the floor. What did they do with the bones? According to laws and agreements worked out between the Orthodox Jewish community and the Department of Antiquities, the bones were all immediately taken out, out of the ossuaries, out of the tomb, and reburied at a secret location. The bones are not available for any kind of analysis. No longer could the bones even be identified as to where they came from the floor or out of an ossuary. Okay? But it was thought that some of the bone fragments or, or material from those bodies that were in the ossuaries might have been preserved in, in little fragments or, or, or little brushes up against the side. You, like, you know, all you need is a little swab to get you know, off the inside of your mouth to get a DNA test. Well, here's a some possible little fragments of leftover material inside the ossuary. So they went and looked. By the way, what they should have done, if they were going to do this kind of analysis, was to test all the ossuaries. See, that's why James Cameron, producer of Titanic, got involved in the first place. He was bankrolling the whole thing. Of course, they used the excuse, well, we didn't have the... When they were questioned about it, they said, we didn't have the budget to do all the analysis... No, they did. They just, they either did it and the results were completely contrary to what they wanted to see or they didn't do it because knowing that it could possibly knock them off their pedestal. So they either didn't do it or they didn't announce it. Okay? All they did was they took some supposed DNA fragments, organic fragments, out of the Jesus ossuary the, the uh, Jesus son of Joseph ossuary. And they took a little sample from a scraping from the bottom of the Mary Amne ossuary, the ossuary of the lady they think is Mary Magdalene. Now the suspense builds. Will they be related? Or will they not be related? 
Well, they could only do mitochondrial DNA. There wasn't enough good DNA left from the samples that they got. So they did, the, they did some mitochondrial DNA. All that can tell you is, is whether they're related maternally. If they have the same mother, that'll show up. Any other relationship without the same, that is not the same, sharing the same mother, will not show up. But if you watch carefully on the documentary, this is this sleight of hand that they pull. The researchers, uh, Pellegrino and, uh, and Yakubovich, are standing with bated breath, and I think James Tabor's even there, waiting for the results of the DNA test. And they discover they're not related maternally. And what did they immediately say? Oh, then they must be married! No, that's not the conclusion that we could come to. Why? Because they could still be related, just have a different mother. Mary Amney could be this Jesus' sister, maybe his cousin, maybe the wife of Joseph. How would you know? You don't know. And so... The whole thing just simply falls down like a house of cards. It's meaningless. The sixth thing. They would have never even tried to do DNA analysis had they ever stopped, duh, to realize that the scrapings, the, the organic scrapings from inside the ossuary may or may not have anything to do with the person whose name is on the box. Remember how many people were inside these ten ossuaries? Seventeen. How many had been there cycled through before them? Who knows how many? Just because Jesus, son of Joseph, and Mary Amne, or Mary, or any of the other analysis that they might have wanted to do, just because those names were on the boxes, didn't mean that the scraping they got out of the box belonged to that individual. There's no way to put those facts together. But yet, it was so seamless in the documentary. So the whole thing just simply falls apart. Now, I thought, well, you know, if you're going to talk about this, if you're going to even think about this, and I have been embroiled in this, emailing back and forth and doing all this, we've got to have some fun with it. One thing they never considered in this documentary, they never considered any other possible set of relationships among these people in this tomb except for the Jesus family in the Gospels. They never looked at it any other way. Let me give you a perfectly seamless, plausible way that we can deal with this tomb. Now, I will admit, I will have to ignore the thing about the Judeans. If they're Galileans, there's nothing here to indicate that they're Galileans. But we'll ignore that. We'll just treat it like the filmmakers treated it. Let's look at a possible scenario 
that's better than the one offered in the documentary for several reasons, but the biggest reason is it conforms completely and consistently with the gospel record. Now, let's go back to who these... Let me read the list again. Here they are. Remember, we have ten ossuaries. I'm going to grant them... I'm going to grant the documentary filmmakers that the sort of floating missing ossuary is actually the one that they suggest it might be, which is Yaakov bar Yosef, James son of Joseph, brother of Jesus, which is that real controversial one that's out there. But let's give them that one. Bring that in. Make, make that the 10th ossuary. Ossuary number one, Yeshua bar Yehosef. The spelling is important here. It's not Yosef, it's Yehosef. has the, the extra letter. Now, is this Jesus of... Nazareth, son of Joseph of Nazareth? Well, according to the historical record, Jesus was buried in the tomb of a fellow named Joseph of Arimathea. But the biblical record is universally ascribing a resurrection to Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't stay in the tomb very long. He was a rather short, the shortest term resident of that group. I suggest this. This isn't Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph of Nazareth. This is Jesus named after Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus, son of Joseph of Arimathea. What if Joseph of Arimathea had a kid and he named him Jesus because he deeply respected the man that he was following and maybe even became part of that movement? And it would be perfectly logical. That's the only change. This preserves the biblical record. Why? Because Joseph of Arimathea had was a wealthy man and had a family tomb in the area. How do we know? The historical record tells us so. So now we have the historical record backing us up. Does the historical record tell us that Joseph of Arimathea had a son named Jesus? No. But it doesn't say he didn't. That's my only speculation here. <laughs> That's it. But why am I on better ground than Cameron? Because... It matches the historical record perfectly. It's consistent with it. It doesn't defy it. Now, when it came time for Jesus' mother Mary to die, she needed a place, and she was a prominent person in the way, in the movement of Jesus. So possibly Joseph of Arimathea just said, bring her to my family tomb and bury her there. And so, maybe this Mary is Mary after all. Mary Amine. Possibly this is Mary Magdalene. If it is, Joseph of Arimathea is very close to the movement. Mary Magdalene is very close to the movement. She gets old. She dies. He has her buried there as well, out of respect. Yose. Possibly this is Yose, the familial name of the brother of Jesus. He's part of the movement. Maybe he gets buried here as well. 
but maybe it's another son of Yehosef. Maybe it's Joseph of Arimathea himself, because this is just another little familial name for Yehosef, for Joseph. Mattiah. Now, maybe this is a cousin. Maybe this is a brother. But maybe this is Matthew, the gospel writer. Dies living in the area. Maybe Joseph of Arimathea's family took him in and buried him in the tomb as well. So maybe this just isn't any old Matthew, maybe related to Mary, but this is maybe really Matthew, the gospel writer. Then we have Yehuda bar Yeshua, Judah's son of Jesus. Well, maybe this Yeshua is the Yeshua of Joseph of Arimathea making Yehuda his grandson. No problem there. Now, what about the 10th ossuary? The other ossuaries, 7, 8, and 9, have no names. The 10th ossuary could certainly be, it is. it says, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. Maybe this is James, the brother of Jesus, who became the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Maybe it is. And he is the brother of Yeshua of Nazareth. But notice that this James son of Joseph has a Joseph that is spelled differently from the Joseph of Yeshua son of Joseph. Possibly this one is Yosef. The other one is Yehosef simply to discriminate between Yehosef of Arimathea and Yosef who was of a different family. How do you know? Well, you don't. It's completely and totally speculative. The difference is we've accounted for every name in here with a perfectly plausible scenario, names attributed to the Jesus movement, and it all makes sense, and it preserves the historical character of the gospel records. There's no problem there whatsoever. By the way, there's another scenario that I put forth And that was that this is just a family of followers of Jesus who just got real excited about naming their kids after the Holy Family. And so you have a whole bunch of family names. And if you could see these unnamed ossuaries, there might be a few Yeshua's and Maria's in there as well. But we don't know. How would we know? Well, that's that's a lot of fun. But the final one is this. And this, to me, is the nail in the coffin. The highly... Did I say that, really? (laughs) You couldn't put a nail in these coffins, I I, I promise you. Quite apart from this very highly speculative thing that was done in the documentary, the historical case itself for the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead is on particularly solid historical grounds. These are eyewitness accounts that are rather matter-of-fact. They're not overstated. As far as resurrections go, there's nothing weird about the, the accounts of Jesus' resurrection. They just keep bumping into the guy so frequently over a period of 40 days that they get it through their heads that he's really risen from the dead. There's no lights flashing. There's no weird twilight zone music going on. There's nothing strange here at all. 
If you ever bother to go and read all the gospel accounts of the, of the resurrection experiences of, of the apostles and others, you will see that they're just matter-of-fact, physical descriptions as if you would describe meeting up with a long-lost friend from college. It's no different. There's nothing weird about it. His life is described in realistic terms. His death is certainly described in realistic terms. The way that Jesus was entombed and why he was taken off the cross at the time he was to get him in the tomb before the Sabbath and to do all of that. Everything was done according to pre-70 A.D. Jewish tradition. Everything is perfect in the Scriptures. And when he rises from the dead, when Mary and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they get to the tomb and bump into Jesus, what do they see? He's not dead. He is quite alive. And in fact, if you look at John's account where Mary comes to the tomb early in the morning and she bumps into Jesus and she thinks he's the gardener. This is a funny story if you ever go back and really just read it. She bumps into him. She thinks he's the gardener. And she leaps upon him in the most unladylike fashion, I think wrapping her arms around his neck and her feet around his waist, shaking and beating him on the head and grabbing his hair. I mean, what would you do if a couple of days earlier you'd seen your very Lord and Master brutally flogged and then crucified? And now he's standing before you in perfect glowing health with a smile. You'd freak. Well, she did. Now, the old King James got it way wrong. It said, um, the next thing Jesus says is, Stop clinging to me. Or, no, it says, Touch me not. Don't touch me. There are all kinds of weird sermons I've heard preached off that text. What he said to her, if you look in all the later translations, what he said to her was, Mary, stop hanging on me. Stop clinging to me as he peels her off, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. (laughs) Go ahead, run to the disciples and tell them that I will ascend, but I'll see you later. It was a perfectly beautiful, normal response. It's real. It's factual. Jesus was risen from the dead. Now, um... Wouldn't it? I, I, I think funny thoughts when I think about things like this. Would it not be strange if, if what the documentary film says is, is true? Wouldn't it be funny, strange, maybe even sad, that here you have Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, you have the Matthias and the Yoses and the other, maybe the Jameses and the rest of the family. And they all know that Jesus is perfectly dead. I mean, they put, him, they put him in the tomb and he rotted away and they put him in an ossuary and they stuffed him in there with the rest of the family members. They all knew he was there. Yet somehow, strangely, they kept preaching and teaching and insisting that he had risen from the dead, knowing full well that he was rotting still. And what about... Jesus' little son by Mary Magdalene. 
Here he knows that his father's dead and buried because he can go into the tomb and see the ossuary with his name on it. But yet everybody, his mother included, are all saying that his father is alive. What kind of psychological health does this kid have? (laughs) Daddy's dead. Daddy's alive. I don't know. It makes no sense. Listen, the only thing that makes sense in this whole thing is to follow the crystal clear nuts and bolts historical eyewitness accounts that Jesus is risen from the dead. And to just read the Gospels and go to 2 Peter 3.16, Peter sums it up, for we did not follow cleverly devised documentary films, (laughs) cleverly devised tales, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Jesus is not dead. This is not the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. It is the tomb of somebody named Jesus, but all the other relationships in the tomb are rather strange. Because the gospel accounts are true and they do not attest to anything remotely like this documentary film has given us. Not a scholar in the world will put his name on this one. It is simply a cheap shot at the Christian faith, which in fact never works. We will continue to preach the resurrection of Jesus until he comes. I only hope that they bother to listen to the message or get a little bit of a surprise when He comes in the clouds with power and great glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you, and God bless.